Daz and Daz NBA podcast. Uh, we're going to jump straight into talking here because we've just had the bombshell news that Boogie Cousins has been traded to the New Orleans Pelicans uh, for Tariq Evans, Langston Galloway, Buddy Heald, and a protected first-round draft pick next year. And we believe Omar Caspi has been included in the trade as well. So, Darren, I wanted to get your initial thoughts, I guess, uh, looking at it first from the Sacramento point of view, and I guess trying to work out uh, where they're going. Because at first glance, uh, this doesn't seem to be the greatest uh, haul you can ever think of for a guy that's probably, what, a top 10 player. Uh, some people may even have him higher than that uh, in the NBA. So the, the sort of, I guess, the early news coming out is that Sacramento wanted to have a culture free of Boogie Cousins and they just probably uh, had enough of histrionics, etc. Uh, but they've also, their thinking was that uh, they had a top 10 protected first round pick that was going to Chicago. So if they were going along the way that they were headed, they were probably going to lose that. So this way, by doing this trade, they actually have two first round picks in next year's draft, which is a very deep draft, uh, rather than uh, having no picks at all and keeping Boogie Cousins and really just staying on the trajectory they're on. But, um, so we, we've had a bit of a conversation before we started the podcast trying to find ways to, to give some credit to the Kings. But uh, what's, your, what's your initial thoughts on it? Oh, I think the initial thoughts would be pretty much like all the Twitterverse and everyone, which is kind of the combination of shock and awe and your jaw hitting the floor when you look at the meager package and then you realize it's the Sacramento Kings, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, there you go. That's just more, more Vlade, more Vivek sort of stuff going on. So, on the surface, it looks like a ridiculously low haul. Um, and so, well, you've got so Buddy Hield is there. He's probably the centerpiece of the trade in the sense that Tariq Evans, we're hearing reports. You don't know what his long-term health is going to be like. He's struggled to stay on the court. Langston Galloway is probably going to be waived straight away. Uh, so obviously they're, they're obviously thinking about the uh, two first-round draft picks they essentially will pick up from this trade. Um, but uh, Buddy Hill shooting 37%, uh, started the season off very slowly. He's come on a little bit of late, but I mean it's a, it's a pretty hefty price to pay for a 23-year-old chucker. When does a trade or a superstar who gets traded for a bunch of human beings works out for the team collecting the bunch of human beings. Look how the James Harden trade worked out, right? You know, I just, this never, this never works in favor of the team trading the superstar away, right? So some, it's, it's, it's always either a lose, lose, or just, I mean, you look at the Denver trades, probably the one I'm thinking of where they got a nice haul for Camelo Anthony. But it's not, you wouldn't say they were a massive winner out of that trade. Uh, and I think New York probably won the trade, but they probably made some moves that didn't quite work out on their end. So it's certainly a better looking trade for New Orleans. Uh, at first, you'd only hope, I guess, for the Kings is you look back and say, well, now they fell back into, say, the five or six pick because they started losing games and sort of and, and ended up with a nice draft pick there and then got a player they can build their franchise around. Yeah, so um, what the – sorry, Des, I just 
You're right. I'm like, oh, I'm fait déjà vu. It's, <laughs> so, it's all right. Come on, Kings. What are you, what are you doing? Okay. So, get, sorry, I get my head screwed on here. Oh, okay. What did they get? They got Buddy, um, who they must absolutely love, right? And they better they better love him a lot because that's just about all they're getting here at the number 15 pick. Tyreek's worth nothing. Galloway's worth next to nothing. Um, so what does that do for them? That gives them a young-ish player. He's 23. who plays the backcourt, and I guess on paper, you start to look at their roster construction, and you got Scal, you got Kufos, you got Willie Cauley-Stein, and Papa G, Papa John, Papa Giannis, Papa Giannis, whatever his name is, right? The 19-year-old other big they drafted last year. And you go, okay, it made so little sense when they drafted all those bigs to surround Boogie last year. At least the concept of now getting a um, a scoring threat, a stretchy um, shooting guard like Buddy can, can do, does theoretically make sense if they're trying to sell the narrative of building a young looking for a young core and trying to build the young core and develop it together so i'm well, yeah, that's probably the draft next year i think that's obviously part of their thinking is if we we can't afford to not have a pick in next year's draft and keep this guy around uh because we're going nowhere i mean okay the guy's putting up numbers but it's pretty historic that the guy's putting up the sort of numbers that he's putting up and i think he's never won outside of in the 20s i don't think in terms no. of games for a season. So. And, and look, I'm not a Sacramento fan, so I probably, what I want to give some an acknowledgement to is just the gravity, the gravitational force of having a negative, just a, this, the negative culture, the just the constant tantrums, the, the drama around it. And yes, Vivek and Vlade certainly have to share a lot of blame, but Boogie's not blameless in this thing either. Um, I have a feeling there's a sense of some sense of addition by subtraction. Just thank God we don't have to deal with this anymore. I imagine that's at least some part of the discussion. So to your point, this does, it relieves the black cloud that was, um, that was boogie by all indications. Um, Jaeger is a competent, respected and willing coach in that market. Um, the Kings actually are still selling tickets. That'll be interesting to see what happens on the business side. Will the fans, they tend to be a really loyal fan base, but will the fans keep coming out to watch the team minus Boogie? Um, perhaps the curiosity is going to bring them out. And for the first time, I'm saying that as I kind of squint to the heavens, dare I say, um, whilst the, the, they will get worse before they get better, there's a sense of hope, um, whether that's hope grounded in reality and analysis and a, a sense of the assets they actually have is to be seen, but at least it's hope. you got Scal, who's 20, Papa G, who's 19, Buddy, who's 23. Um, you got some decent players in Collison. Rudy Gay, if he was healthy, he'd, he'd, he'd command an asset or two. Um, Costa would demand an asset or two if he were to be traded. So I think they can perhaps, this is now the, the great relief where they can genuinely go about a roster rebuild and a roster reconstruction around 
young guys and draft picks. Because well, you've got moves to make too, because you've now got the situation where uh, Ben McLemore is probably uh, surplus to requirements now. Uh, in addition to that, you've also got Rudy Gay's expiring contracts. So However, that is, holds any value to anyone uh, to throw that in and give people a bit of uh, cap room in the off-season, which Sacramento will have as well. They've never really been a, a free agent destination. And you wouldn't That's right. change now. But uh, from that point of view, I guess there are still... I, th- I think there's going to be another move to make. Um, and uh, look, who knows? It could be the fake trade I'm going to throw out a bit later on uh, in this podcast. That's the, uh, the move that they make from here. But let's move on and talk about the New Orleans side of this because I think that's obviously more fascinating in some respects other than looking at the train wreck that, that Sacramento have been. Over the over the years, does this catapult New Orleans in your mind to be a quasi contender? I mean, I, I can't say it's going to push them up over the Warriors, but you've, you've you know, definitively have the best front court in the NBA now, at least theoretically, uh, unless it all just goes to pieces, which you never know what what might happen with Boogie Cousins. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be other stories leaking out about some of the antics that he had in Sacramento as they go into a bit of PR mode to try and defend the trade to some extent. But from from that point of view, uh, what what's your sort of thinking? Where does this catapult them in the, in the Western Conference? Well, I'm going to start with the deal itself, and I'll, I'll go to that, which is where are they headed in the Western Conference. Let's be honest here. There is a gigantic... Um, variable called blind effing luck here, right? Because this is effectively the framework of a deal that they were dangling to Philadelphia to get Jalil Okafor, which Philadelphia tur- reportedly turned down, right? Yeah, Philly, yeah, Philly went on the road trip and kept Okafor. Uh, That's right. Back, and That's uh, right. everyone just assumed the trade was going to go ahead, and then yeah, uh, next minute Okafor was back with the team. And I'm not sure what the sticking point was between the two. I don't either, but I guess I'm now remembering my very, very first reaction to the trade was, how on earth does Sacramento do this and not get Drew Holiday back in return? How do they not get at least a highly competent, right? Let's call him a top, I'll be generous, a top 15 NBA point guard, genuine, professional, competent, still with some upside NBA point guard who makes people around him better. How do they not come away with, with Drew Holiday? So um, that's blind conjecture to say that's maybe Philadelphia wanted him back in a deal. But that for me, some of the, I just, my point was there's a lot of, a lot of ridiculous luck here for New Orleans. I think talk about right place, right time. So well, uh, even though McCaspi, I mean, he, I think he's now fit. As you said um, earlier, he's the, the poor man's Ryan Anderson. So there's a guy that they've sort of missed in Ryan Anderson. You, you're sort of getting a guy that could fill in in spot minutes in that sort of role and stretch the floor a little bit. Uh, we've seen Boogie shooting some threes. We know Anthony Davis has got some range. So they've potentially now got a team that, that you've got shooters all over the floor, plus you've got two big men that can defend down the other end. So it, it now becomes a real fascinating team. And Drew Holiday running the point, which, you, which we've, you've sort of touched on, what a good point guard he is. Uh, so we're now looking at a team that's starting to make a lot more sense, uh, I think, on paper. Now, whether that translates onto the court, 
how long it takes for them to sort of gel together and things like that, I think is, is still up in the air. But it's, the, the, I mean, their, their chances this year and in the next oh. few years have certainly gone up after this trade. So I think it'll take them about five minutes to gel. Daz, this is right. This is the MVP of the All Star Game, which you know is the the apex of human confrontation and co- competition. And you know, Boogie Cousins, talk about that absolute perfect definition of a fresh start. A franchise desperate for someone to pair with their um, with their star and AD, desperate for it. Right. The whole narrative for them the last few years has been, you know, is he going to get continued to um, is it going to be a Kevin Love situation where he just continues to lose faith in a franchise to surround him with anyone competent? So talk about an absolute boost in the arm for the fan base, the franchise, and for Boogie. Boogie doesn't have to be the face, doesn't have to have the pressure, has a running mate, and that is a – talk about a positive feedback loop where you've got now someone who's better than you in many regards. What a motivating factor to have those guys on the court at the same time. So I don't think it's going to take any time at all. Yes, will it take time to install, you know, different different sets and different rotations? Sure. But you watch. It'll take five minutes, and AD is going to play beautifully as a stretch four, right? Um, well, interchangeably, four or five for the both of them. So I think the on-court starting five product will take no time at all with Drew Holiday running the point. What will take a hit, right? And I'm not, I don't want to overvalue the assets that went out, is they don't have a backcourt anymore. Yeah. They, 60, I think it was 62 minutes a game combined between Tyreek, um, uh, Buddy, and Galloway. So you take 62 minutes a game of, you know, basically their entire, all the twos on their roster. And so they're going to have to go D-League shopping just to fill out a, literally just to fill out a competent rotation. So don't get me wrong. I don't think this is going to suddenly rocket the Pels up the standings because um, when you have the guys sitting you, you look at that bench and there's just, there's no one running it. So, um, but from a long-term perspective, it's an absolute unbelievable lottery victory, blind luck, whatever you want to call it to have what two top 10, top 15 players in the league, right? On the same, some teams will go decades and not have that. And they've just lucked into it. So, well, and I um, think it's a, it's a put now point of difference too. So, You've got the Warriors. What the Warriors' absolute um, Achilles heel or kryptonite is rebounding. Uh, I watched them get absolutely belted by Denver uh, last week, and I think the rebounding count was 52 to 27. So you could imagine what sort of damage. And, and the Kings have played the Warriors. Well, the Kings beat the Warriors once. They were close for a half, I think, in the second game. But you think about the advantage they're going to have now on the boards, and if that is a 1v8, first round matchup things that I think become very interesting because yes the Warriors are a great team but you think back to all the other great teams and I can't remember a team just have any great team having just one glaring weakness the way the Warriors do and I think mm. it's one good thing to say well we're just not going to miss say Ruben he's not going to become a factor but I think it does when the other team is missing then the other end is continually dragging down the boards and I think that's possibly what this team can do uh, and, and to your point, I guess the only thing I'd say about New Orleans, I know Etwan Moore was a guy they were very high on in the preseason. For whatever reason, he hasn't played that well or hasn't played that many minutes so far. Whether they're sort of thinking, well, 
maybe he needs a bit more time to develop and they, there's a bit more confidence internally in him than what we've seen. Uh, I'm not sure from the fact that they've basically sent out their entire backcourt rotation, with the exception of Drew Holiday. So I think that's, a, that's an interesting dynamic, how that's going to work out, whether they can pick up a guy off waivers or, as you say, go D-League shopping, just pick up some confident guys. Uh, remains to be seen. So that's that's going to be the the real um, big question mark, I think, for them going forward if they're going to be contenders this year and even into the future. I mean, you've still got to build that backcourt backcourt rotation rather than just have the best front court in the league. I I just think it's now suddenly uh, overnight in the blink of an eye they are now going to be on my NBA league pass. How curious! I'm gonna I'm gonna be to watch, you know, the second coming of Tim Duncan and David Robinson. I'd have to struggle to think of the last time you have two players of their you know of their size in the front court of this good playing together. Well, you would have thought in today's NBA, the days of the twin towers teams, which we saw, you know, going back to Ralph Sampson and Hakeem, and even um, before that, there was no doubt teams that just had the two big guys and two. You know, one guy that had a bit of range as a long as a, as a tall guy, and another guy that could play back to the basket and things like that. And I was thinking the other day, you just—I don't think you'll ever see another team build a twin towers type lineup. Uh, but not even thinking in my wildest dreams that New Orleans would be in the position to pick up Boogie Cousins. Uh, and as you say, without giving up Drew Holiday, so you've still kept your point guard. And you know, touch wood that he can stay healthy. Well, and there's times where you watch AD; he can play like a three. He can put the ball on the floor. He can do. He can shoot pull-ups. He can. AD can face up and boogie. Boogie's got a range. Boogie can shoot the mid-range jumper. So this is two giant men who have the modern big skill set. That's why I think my that's going to be fun to watch. That's right. I don't. I don't spacing because they're still going to be able to space the floor, even if both of them are on the floor together. Look, they're going to play less than zero defense now, right? Let's not get any. I, I like the thought experiment of the two giants playing Golden State, but Golden State might score as many points as the you know the Eastern Conference did in the All Star game against New Orleans in the playoffs. They might they might win one forty eight to one twenty, right? They might score every possession. But you'd see AD and Boogie both go for 40 and 20, and they'd lose by 20. That's what I think. You know, so New Orleans isn't a competitive team as it's constructed right now. But my God, the excitement, the fun, the possibilities to have two guys like that now to compete with each other and to make each other better. And, and dare I say, you know, AD with his um, schoolboy you know, clean cut um, hometown, not hometown, but just uh, um, do anything for the franchise image might have a dampening effect on Boogie in the best way possible. It might calm him down. It might, get, it might center him a bit. And Boogie might actually get better. So this is A plus, 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 plus with an asterisk for just how lucky they've gotten. But this is nothing but an unbelievable coup for the Pels. And I'm not as convinced as you. I think you've taken a glass half full there to Boogie Cousins. I'm, I'm not convinced this guy's going to settle in New Orleans. Uh, I think he wants to be the man. I don't think I don't think he's going to see want to see much of the spotlight to Anthony Davis. Uh, I hope he proves me wrong, but I've just got a feeling this is not going to be the greatest fit 
uh, from a personality point of view. Mm. Anthony Davis playing together could be wrong. I mean, they seem to get along when they play in the Olympic team together. Uh, I hope Alvin Gentry now this this allows him to stay on because I've always rated him as a coach. So I, I, I hope this gives him the opportunity to stay on in New Orleans because I think his job was probably in in jeopardy before this trade was made. Uh, but I'm I'm not convinced it's going to be the, the seamless transition. I guess off the court uh, with this guy. And especially, you know, as I said, there's going to be a lot of stories coming out uh, about what, what's going on in Sacramento. So whether that sort of attitude and that sort of nonsense continues with him in New Orleans, we'll wait and see. But uh, I do agree with you on the league pass. I mean, there's no question. This is a term you want to watch now um, play. And, and beyond the Warriors, I think any team in the Western Conference, no one wants to be playing this team, even the way it's constructed now. I don't think you'd want to be playing them in the playoffs because you just you're not sure at, at the moment anyway how it's going to work out, and it could be that this is the perfect way to construct a team in today's NBA. Two two bigger guys that can stretch the floor. Uh, okay, you'd want a bit better uh, backcourt players if you could, but uh, that's that's two very very nice centerpieces to build around from here. Well, and free agent destination, right? You just, you've just—that's exactly what you've. There's so many benefits of this trade for the Pels. You just—I almost can't count them because who wouldn't want to now go play, um, play with them? You know, imagine all the the, the types of. Uh, I'm gonna just sort of because of um, proximity. I think in like role players like Delhi, right? Competent rotation players now gonna look at New Orleans and go, my gosh, why not? Want to go play 20 minutes a game and, you know, be able to dump the ball into those two guys. They draw double and triple teams all over the place. They'll have all kinds of room to shoot. So I think it's going to be an interesting uh, magnet for people to play as well. So I'm I'm extremely bullish on this. I'm a, I'm a big believer in you're also a bit of a product of your environment. And just watch the environment now that Boogie is in. I'm not saying it's certainty, but my goodness, what what a great fit. I, I don't know. I just, where did you think, what type of environment did you imagine Boogie, a better environment for Boogie? There's no, none. I'm, an, I'm not a believer in the guy. I think when you're, when you're seven foot tall and you look like you're going to cry uh, five times every game, uh, I think there's, there's some issues there. Uh, I've never seen a guy carry on on the court the way this guy does. Uh, and I've watched a bit of Sacramento this year and in years previous and I just think it's a big risk to take, not a big risk to take in terms of New Orleans now given what they've given up, it's probably a, a, a big risk, but if you're talking about say from a Boston point of view, what they're saying, well they're going to give up uh, you know, the, the, next, the next pick next year and, and throw in some really big assets, well, I wouldn't have been, been doing that with Boogie Cousins because I think he's the sort of guy that could Yes, he could lift the franchise up, but he can also tear a franchise down. And there has to be something behind the fact that, that they're just, despite the numbers he's been putting up consistently, they just don't win. And you know, they're not even winning to the level that Minnesota were when Kevin Love was there. I mean, they're even even below that. So uh, yeah, just look at the look at the ownership, look at the ownership in Sacramento, look what's going on with the GM who doesn't. You know, even though the basics, X's and O's of salary cap management or how to, you know, I read 
Flaw didn't even know that to complete a trade, they had to be a, a conference call with all the parties involved with the league, right? That famous story. Yeah. Didn't even know how that how that worked. Oh, so, I'm just saying, but think about the f- effect now of a superstar like AD. It's not possible for it's just not possible for Boogie to drag the franchise down because it's not his franchise. He had no one in Sacramento ever to put him in his place, right? Yeah, he ran the coach. Just the type of personality that's going to put him in his place. Because I mean, there's a flip side to that coin where yes, he Anthony Davis makes Boogie Cousins better, but there's also the possibility that Boogie Cousins makes Anthony Davis worse, and the whole thing just torpedoes out of control. Uh, I guess that's possible. I mean, look, I I'm can just taking a pessimistic <laughs> view. I just think from a look, I'm a Spurs fan. There's it's almost no riskless. Way, I mean, there's no one in a million years Boogie Cousins would play for the Spurs. They got 110 uh, games to figure. Yeah, 30 games this year and 82 next year to <clears throat> to figure that out. So like 110 games of Boogie for the the garbage they gave up. It's just an absolute lottery victory. It's just. Oh, I think, of course, uh, but yeah. you have to do the trade. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not quite yet willing to to sign off on it as the uh, the savior. When you will lose basketball. We'll just let's give it to the end of this season, as you say. Give it next season, and see where it ends up. Uh, because, uh, and the re- I was actually surprised about this trade when you sent it through, sent the details through to me, because I was doing some fake trades for today's pod, and uh, I thought I wanted to get. Uh, my thinking was I wanted to get New York a point guard because Camelo Anthony. Uh, has played with some of the worst point guards that you've ever seen. I want to take you through some of those. And, but I thought, obviously, to do that, you've got to get rid of Derek Rose. And I thought, who is the only franchise dumb enough to take on Derek Rose? Sacramento. <laughs> of course. Sacramento came up straight away. So I didn't even notice the boogie wasn't uh, an option to trade in or out of Sacramento. And I saw Tariq Evans there, and I, I, I just always assumed he was a Sacramento player anyway even though he was with New Orleans. So it didn't even click then until you sent through, uh, until you actually sent through the uh, the news about. But I've got here some of the point guards. So, so just to, to touch on Camelo Anthony, so everyone's saying, look, Camelo Anthony should be traded and, and sort of blaming him uh, for what's happening with the Knicks. But I sort of take the spike leave you. To me, I'd say, Phil Jackson, pack your bags. Let's see if we can finally get Camelo Anthony a point guard again. Because the Knicks, I think, they've made the pass twice when Camelo Anthony was there. The first time, their point guard was Chauncey Billups, who came over in the trade. And the second time, their point guard was Jason Kidd, who was literally very much at the end of his career by that point. Uh, so I think you know he did, couldn't hit a three for the last 20 games he played and things like that. So, But they won 54 games that year. So I thought... You've got the template there of the type of point guard that the Knicks need around him. But unfortunately, they've just not been able to produce that. So when you look at the, mainly the, the main type of point guard too that they've gotten has sort of been the score first type of point guard. I mean, Jeremy Lin, who had a, you know, a moment of, of relevance there, as well as obviously Derek Rose. Um, but despite, I think, knowing the type of point guard that they need, they just haven't bothered to, to go and get it. I mean, they've had Ray Felton. I'm just going through the list now. Uh, Ray Felton, Anthony Carter, 
Mike Bibby, Baron Davis, uh, Jeremy Lin, who I just mentioned, Jason Kidd, Pablo Prigioni, Bruno Udre, Torre Murray. Have you ever heard of that guy? Mm-hmm. Jose mm-hmm. Calderon. Uh, doesn't get any better. Shane Larkin, Langston Galloway, who we've spoken about, Alexi Shved. I mean, are you getting a picture here? You got a picture. <laughs> like, this is just a terrible. I mean, people say Boogie Cousins and they've had a point guard. I'll take Darren Collison ahead of any of those guys any day of the week. Uh, that, and, and obviously, top it up with Derek Rose this year, who I've said in the previous podcast, I think might be the worst player in the NBA from just the point of view of his contract. Uh, even though I think it's expiring at the end of this year, is probably the only good thing about the contract and just what he does to a team on and off the court. So what I did was I thought, I need a fake trade. I've got to get a trade that can sort this out for the Knicks. So what I've done is we've got, I've included the Detroit Pistons, New York Knicks and Sacramento. So Sacramento received Derek Rose. The New York Knicks get John Lua, Ish Smith, and, well, I had Caspi in there. Now, Caspi apparently was part of the uh, Boogie Cousins trade, so that may not be able to happen there. And Detroit get Rudy Gay and Ben McLemore. So they can either re-sign Rudy Gay or they can move on from him. But I guess the centrepiece for me from the New York Knicks point of view is Ish Smith. Now, I know not people are probably looking and saying, Ish Smith, there's a guy that's uh, very underwhelming. But I think, <laughs> he's I better than Derrick Rose, is he? He's better than Derrick Rose for this team. <laughs> I mean, in a vacuum, he's not a better player than Derrick Rose. But for this particular team... I think he is because what you just need a guy that's a good locker room presence that's going to know when to get other guys involved. He doesn't have to be a superstar. I mean, when, when Chauncey Billups was there, he wasn't a superstar. At that stage, he was at the end of his career, so was Jason Kidd. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Ishmith's the player that I chose, but I think there's a number of players at that level that that's all the Knicks need. And then you get the guy that knows, all right, Pazingas hasn't had a few touches, we'll get him involved, we'll get make sure that Camilla gets his shots. And I just think, I don't think it's going to necessarily fully turn the franchise around, but it's just that sort of thinking, I guess, that to try and get the right fitting players in there um, to the team to help your superstar out and say, what sort of players do we need to put around him uh, rather than just signing the best, biggest name for the typical of the next, the biggest name free agents or trying to make a splash we're about sort of thinking about roster construction and, and what type of players that they need. I mean, you know, to have Derek Fisher coaching the team last year, trying to do the triangle and things like that, and I mean, even the D'Antoni experiment, which didn't really work uh, from a few years before that. They just they haven't done the right thing, in my mind, around Camilo Anthony's talents because even Georgie Billups said, he said, if you want Camilo Anthony to be the guy that leads your team, He's just not a leader. That's not his personality. It's not the way he plays. So you need to surround him with the right players. But I'm interested in your thoughts just generally around the Knicks uh, and, and the type of point guard that they might need, the type of roster construction they should have. Well, I love Zinger. Bite the bullet and get rid of Camillo. Look, I'm probably of the... Um, so I think they should get rid of Carmelo. But he's got no trade clause, and therefore I think getting rid of him is going to be extremely difficult. But I think he's always made it known that he'd play for, what, the Clippers 
And what? Who else was he going to play for? The Bulls? One or two other teams? Yeah, the Clippers was but, the only one I heard. And I think the Cavs was the other one. Cavs. Yeah, thanks. Sorry. That's, that's what I meant. Cavs, not the Bulls. So, being realistic, the, the Cavs aren't giving up Kevin Love for Carmelo Anthony. That's not happening. Nor did the Cavs have enough assets to, to get any sort of value from Nick's perspective to trade Carmelo. So that's not going to happen. The Clippers, yet again, decimated by injury. They don't have a team. So they're not going to trade a bunch of assets to get that they don't have and or are injured to get Carmelo. So I just don't think he's being traded. So then you're stuck. So then you're going to commit to um, get one of two paths for the Knicks. One is you just say you ride it out, right? You pull a Kobe with him and just ride it out and build your roster irrespective of the wishes or expectations of your quote-unquote superstar. And that means continue just to keep every single draft pick you have. You know, don't entertain any ideas for trades for Ernan Gomez or Justin Holiday or any of the young guys you keep, you know, keep, Keep all your young assets, keep your draft picks, stay the course and be be targeted with your unrestricted free agents and wait till Carmelo retires whilst Zinger becomes the centerpiece of, of the franchise. That's path number one. Path number two is you go Denver Broncos, right? Which is you you say, okay, he might be a broken down imperfect superstar, but he's our superstar and we're going to go for it. And and so I think they need something way bigger than an Ish Smith to to push their chips in the middle of the table to try and I guess get a what to get a big three of sorts to pair with Zinger and with Carmelo. But then I go, okay, they're going to have to get up get up with the few assets they do have to get this person. Then suddenly your bench is ridden, your bench is tremendous. So I my little fake trade in my head, I don't know if I have to think about it a little bit more was. I go, who's a, who's a point guard that'd be available and would fit the maturity level you'd need to survive in New York and could thrive in that sort of thought of, I thought of Drudge. So I thought he'd be a really good fit because he can score enough and he can distribute enough. And he's about, you know, he's what, 31 or so. So he's still got some game left in him. And I thought, okay, if you get Drogic, then you're going to have to give up like a Justin Holiday and a Hernan Gomez and, Maybe take on the contract if you're Miami. Take on a <clears throat> take on Noah's contract, right, for the right to get Drogic. So that was kind of the broad framework I had in mind. Is you could sell it to yourself, and you could sell it to the fans. But you've got, you know, three players. You know, whatever three. You know, is Drogic and a top 100 player borderline? You got, you know, you've got at least a team to go to war with. So I think of those two paths, right? Sorry, you don't have enough assets for Plan B. Call it Drogic or whomever else. Ish Smith isn't going to move the dial. You're not going to win any more than 42 games a year the next couple of years. While Zinger's stock is going up, Carmelo's stock is going down as he ages and, and loses his athleticism. So Plan B to me doesn't make any sense. If they had all their first-round picks, great. Go for it. So I go... Unless the no trade clause gets removed, um, I can see the I, I can only see the the Kobe Bryant path playing out, and perhaps they get lucky with you know if Rose Rose's expiring goes away, um, 
maybe they can move Noah's contract for a slightly less god awful player around his salary range and get some free agents in the offseason. Maybe they can, you know, piece together a 44 win team, but I just don't. I just don't see them making a big deal. So I think that's the only path they have. Stay young, see if uh, Hernan Gomez and um, Kuzminskis and um, what's his name? Sorry, Justin Holiday. If they can develop into to meaningful players next year and go from there. Yeah, I think the thing with any trade, you, you've got to have find someone that can take Derek Rose. So unless it's at the team that just wants to have. Uh, that expiring contract on the books or something like that, uh, that that's going to be very difficult to try and get in a player like, like a Dragic. I mean, how, I just don't know how that trade would work given what the Knicks have got. And they're, not, they're certainly not going to give away any you know, first-round picks at the moment uh, for a goal. That's a little bit hamstrung by the fact that they've got their Rose on the books, I think. So it's more just a matter of trying to get them better, I guess, this year. But maybe just wait. Derek Rose will be off the books at the end of this year uh, and then you know, see if you can move forward from there and what free agents are available, what they can pick up in the draft uh, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, look, because it, it is an interesting dynamic, uh, I think, from the point of view of the Knicks. You know, where do they go from here? And like, I, think I think they're stuck. I think they're stuck. I think, I, I think they're stuck. With Camelo. Uh, and they're probably stuck. Just, I guess it's frustrating for me outside looking in that see people continually pile on this guy, and you think, geez, they just have not done him any favours at all in terms of their roster construction, their coaching hires, anything like that uh, around what they've done. I mean, in contrast to James Harden in Houston, Mike D'Antoni, perfect coach for him this year. Perfect, you know, yeah. If you're going to throw James Harden with Tibbs, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I'm not saying necessarily Mellow and... Uh, and Dan Tony was that bad a fit, but it, it certainly wasn't the right fit uh, for what they wanted to do. Well, I just, you, yeah, you, you get what you you do in Jockey Noah. I go, okay, there you go, you've made your bed. Yes. You spend a hundred and some million on those two guys. Okay, yeah. we need to end of conversation. There you are. You just that's your play. That's your play to surround Carmelo. With a broken down Derrick Rose, um, seventeen million a year for Noah and Courtney Lee. Okay, so they're done. His career will end as we expect it to end in a slow, irrelevant, um, sometimes petulant death. Yeah. Well, let's. We might move on. I had another fake trade I wanted to share with you, but I might hold that whole fire on that till next week because uh, it's going to lead to a broader discussion about a couple of different players and teams. But I wanted to move on now to the quiz of the week and you stumped me last week pretty badly on the effective field goal percentage i'm not going to go quite as tough on you there <laughs> but uh i wanted to ask you could you name the top five rookies this year in terms of minutes played um now, total minutes or minutes per game so like Embiid, minutes per game so Embiid. Um, Embiid, um, Buddy Healed. No, he's Buddy played. Hield, no, he's not, not up there. He's not. No. Jesus, I already, already no, lost the plot. Your favourite rookie of the year. 
Oh, Brogdon, huh? Yes. And one of your other players, your least favorite rookie of the year. Brandon Ingram. That's right. So we'll All right, there we go. Brandon Ingram, Brogdon, and B. Uh, so, rookie minutes, rookie minutes. Um, 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 my man, um, I need to look at the. I just say, didn't look at the standings. Who am I missing here? Well, we mentioned one. We spoke about this team last week. One of them plays for Miami. Uh, certainly not a household name, but he's second in minutes per game this year. Um, it's not. It's not Decker. It's not Number Warriors. Um. Who am I missing? Place for Miami. Yep. Up to the draft. <laughs> like, just, well, we'll this is this is embarrassing. Um, Magruder. What? Yep. He R twenty six point two minutes a game. That's R Magruder. R Magruder. Yes. Is he a rookie? He's a rookie. And get Dario out of here. Sarich is number five. Who's actually playing oh, is really he? nice basketball. Like, I like Sarge. He is yeah. playing some really nice basketball. Also, wanted to mention number seven is Harrison, who plays for Memphis, and he's an interesting story because that's, he's a guy they didn't draft him in last year's draft. They drafted him the year before, but they sent him straight to the D League, and they said we're not going to call you up. We're not even going to think about you playing in the NBA this year. You're playing a full season in the D League, and then you're coming up. And he's averaging 21 minutes a game this year. He hasn't been lights out or anything like that, but he's just been a solid NBA rotation player. And I think, again, it goes back to the point of what's the best way to develop players. I think there's something to be said for just getting a young guy saying, go and play in the D-League for a season, um, develop there, that's what it's all about, and then come up when you're ready the following season. And then he's certainly been a lot more value to them this year um, after that season of Dooley, then you probably would have... You say Andrew Harrison, is that who Andrew you said? Andrew Harrison, yeah, so... Yeah, no um, kidding. Just throwing him, threw him in this year, and, I mean, he was actually leading the league in minutes played because of the injury to Conley, and the fact that they stayed afloat for as long as they didn't, he was playing heavy minutes during those periods. He's not playing well, but he's playing, he's playing huh? well, but he's, as I say, he's not lights out, but he's a solid rotation player, nice defender, um, not putting up big numbers or anything like that, but it's, it's okay. a guy they've got some faith in. Yeah, they must to play twenty minutes a game. Fall off the true, you know, fall away during the time that he's out there, and that one to leave me, I guess, a broad discussion before we finish up for this week. Well, who, who's caught your eye as a rookie? We know Brandon Ingram hasn't caught your eye, but who sort of has? And even if we go into sophomores as well, the, these younger guys in the league, who's catching your eye at the moment? Well, what's interesting is the I guess the first player I think of is. Um, it's actually Jalen Brown. I think I think Jalen Brown can play. I think you know the Boston got a lot of criticism for that pick, and um, man, just you look at the way he can cover multiple positions. He's starting to figure it out. I like how he's been he's been brought along. I like how he's surrounded by that that just the toughness of that team. Just you know the the irresistible force that's. Isaiah, the um, I don't, I don't even think I have the word for Marcus Smart. Who just I just love Marcus Smart. Um, who doesn't want him on your team? Yeah, and to have Jalen, I'm, I'm not a Marcus Smart fan, so 
Yeah, I, I just want a guy you want in your rotation, though. I just think that, especially playoff time, right? He's a frustrating offensive player, but it's just, I just yeah, I love the just what he does for the culture of a team. I guess Daz is maybe what I'm looking at. Marcus that's Smart. I, I think that, yeah, that's I that's maybe what I'm. Yeah, because you just don't know what you're going to get night to night. With him. I think that can hurt you in yeah. the playoffs when you're trying to get a, a steady rotation going to have a guy in there that who knows what he's going to put up uh, night to night. Yes, look, he's not flying off the pages, right, with massive, you know, if you look at the Jalen Brown game log, it's not, you know, he's not he's not lighting it up. But I, I'm i seeing flickers, I, I, and I like it. So Jalen Brown's catching my eye from a, Just hmm. Jalen Brown, too. I yeah. put my eye early in the season for the fact that, and I can't remember who Boston were playing, but Brad Stevens drew up a play. They're one point down, and it was Jalen Brown who took the shot. And he missed it, but I thought, gee, that, that's a big vote of confidence in a rookie. Earlier on in the season, Brad Stevens, who's known for drawing up those really good plays, and it was a really good play they drew up, he got a good open look, that didn't go in, but I thought, internally, they must have a lot of faith in this guy, and they must rate him very highly. In some ways, it reminds me a little bit of Kawhi Leonard in, in the Spurs in terms of, I think the Spurs always rated Kawhi Leonard a lot more high yeah. internally. And that's what I always wonder. What what are these teams thinking about these guys internally? And that's why I said to you today, I'm wondering what Luke Walton's thinking about Brandon Ingram internally because we're obviously underwhelmed what we're seeing, but maybe he's very happy with him uh, or, or vice versa. And I think there's no question to me, Jalen Brown, Brad Stevens is feeling really, really good about that pick. I, I agree, yeah. And just slight segue, I'm starting to read. Um, have you read about the stuff where it's probably going to have to be collectively bargained or a, a, a big conversation had outside of the CBA sort of framework, which is changing the minimum age for NBA players. And so I think we're, we're going to start to see some manifestation here because I go, when he, when he first asked the question, what jumps out, what jumps out is how underwhelmed I am. And I go, and I start, I'm underwhelmed, right? Ingram, uh, Dragon Bender's not done anything. We've talked about Chris Dunn before. Buddy Heald, you know, is a high-volume 23-year-old. Drafted really high. He's not really done anything special. You know, Marcus Chris is getting a bit of a run, but, you know, you just run through the top 10, and it's nothing Nothing really stands out. So I get it, but they're all young. They're all 19 years old, minus minus Buddy. Yeah. Um, the other one that jumps out, but that's, that's a broader conversation. The other one that you just... When I think about what must be going so well, and again, the numbers don't make you stand up and look, but he had his little coming out party this last weekend was Jamal Murray. Hmm. And you go, to, in such a crowded backcourt and wing rotation as Denver with with Gary Harris and Will Barton and you know all the rest of them there, for him to be carving out 20 minutes a game in Denver, right? And... You know, again, he's not shooting lights out. He's, you know, effective logo possession is 47, 48%. But the guy can ball. He's 19 years old. So I go, um, and you can see what happens, I think, with his, he's got a confidence. He's got a swagger. He's got a beautiful stroke. So I kind of like where Jamal Murray is. He, he's not Devin Booker, but he's, if I had to say who's this year's, Devin Booker, sort of surprise breakout for next year, he'd probably lead my list 
right, amongst a pretty crowded group. So I like little Jamal Murray. I agree. I, I like Jamal Murray. I like what he's done so far. And again, the confidence that they have. And that, that's what makes me sit up and take notice. What, what teams have confidence in these rookies to come out and play big minutes? And, and Denver's in a playoff race. So they're not like the Lakers where they're just saying, oh, we'll throw Brandon Ingram out there for one night at point guard and see what happens. Um, they're in a playoff race. So they're trying to win every game. So I think the, the fact that they're playing in big minutes, they're showing some trust in him. Um, Sorry. He's a really good sign for his yeah. for where he's going. The other players I wanted to mention is, um, and I, I think we touched on this in the earlier podcast about just the older players and how some of sometimes you know get a four four year guy. If I'm taking a guy in the second round, I'm almost just exclusively looking at these four year guys because you've got to respect what Malcolm Brogdon's doing in Milwaukee this year. Um, just in terms of, I mean, you're looking, you're looking at the numbers now. He's leading the Rorikis and assists. Uh, he's leading in three-point percentage. And I don't think they were expecting it. I'm not sure what the expectations were on his shooting from college. Um, and I think he, what is he, fourth in scoring. So he's not lights-out scoring, but uh, he's doing quite well. So he's around the nine-and-a-half points a game, 4.2 assists a game, uh, shooting nearly 42% from three. And, and uh, 85% from the free throw line. So, well, I'd have to I'd have to pull up the charts on Brogdon just to, to double down on what's been impressive about him and is that, and I've watched probably 35 or 40 bucks games, is that the threes he also hits. These aren't the, you know, Brogdon standing in the corner, right, with a wide open... T- they're bailout threes, but they're also because he plays right. He plays mostly the point, so it's he does a lot of the. He'll do a trail, you know. Sometimes the way Telly does, he'll trail Giannis on a break, and he'll pull up. He'll pull up from the you know from the wing or the top. So the deepest part and the toughest part of the of the shot. Where I think what's the NBA average from out there is like thirty one or thirty two percent out there. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's it's something like that. And so I say he's forty one point seven percent. Is even more impressive when you consider. His shot chart isn't coming from the corners. But um, he's not like, I mean, to, to compare him with Bertans, who you know I love, he's shooting 39%, but I mean, all his stuff is just spot up threes. And I mean, I can't remember, like, I watch a fair bit of Bucks, not as much as you, but I see a lot of Brogdon where it's like five seconds to go on the shot clock and he's just got to create something. And yeah. He can actually hit that, hit that three off the dribble as well. He can play. So no one thought he'd shoot. No one Bucks land thought he could shoot forty one percent, and it remains to be seen. I think probably pretty fair. He's probably land around thirty nine or forty for the season, right? With about thirty games left. But um, um, but yeah, he's I guess from a, uh, when you said who st- who jumps out at you, I was probably looking at the top of the draft. But yeah, I didn't even think about good old good old Malcolm. Oh, and, and um, by the way, one point two steals a game. Oh, he can defend. Leading yeah. rookies. He can defend. The best they knew he could defend. There's no question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the other dimension of the draft that sticks out for me is that there was that, um, I guess you look at the bigs that kind of went in the mid-lottery, which was Marquise Chris, Jakob Podol, Fawn, kind of out of nowhere, um, Torian Prince and Sabonis, right? Sort of the, the bigs that kind of all went 9, 10, 11, 12, and, that's probably been the other surprise is that the 
you look at the teams doing the quote-unquote safe picks with Pirtle and Sabonis, and those guys have underwhelmed. Now, granted, they're you know Toronto is a, a borderline contender, and and um, but Demo- Sabonis has gotten a pretty good one at OKC, but they've underwhelmed. Um, I've been a little bit disappointed in them, particularly Pirtle. I thought he would carve out a role in Toronto. And I think um, Ibaka getting moved up there. Because, I mean, Sabonis is playing 21 minutes a game, so he, he's OK. But we saw it, I think, um, to some extent with... Uh, who was the guy Memphis took second that was an absolute bust? Um, oh, I can't remember the centre <clears throat> from a few years ago. But sometimes when, when just out of nowhere, these teams like Toronto and Memphis at that time uh, end up getting a high draft pick and then they've got to try and integrate this rookie into the system, especially a high draft pick rookie, it can be quite difficult um, to, to get minutes into them and develop them properly. And I think that's yeah. what you're seeing to some extent. Uh, well, I mean, Sabonis is probably, he, he's just as much as anyone else just sitting around watching what Russell Westbrook's doing. Well, I think what we've seen in Toronto is that the he, you think he's a rookie because he didn't hear anything about him, but Nagara. Right, he's he's a this is third year I think there in Toronto. He's only twenty four, and he suddenly, you know, he's gone from what three three point he didn't even play. He played six games in his rookie season, played twenty nine games, averaged seven point eight minutes per game last year, and then all of a sudden, wham! He's averaging almost twenty two minutes a game this year. Obviously, they must be valuing defense and toughness. Portal's got that kind of, um, I guess, a more refined offensive game. So you can sort of see in Toronto just emerge that way. They've they've needed defense in the middle, maybe picking up some of the the old Bismack time. But um, that's I guess the other thing that jumped out with the with the young guys is in the in the rookies in particular. I probably have to do some research before I thought about the the second year players to be honest. As but uh, we talked about Dunn disappearing, Ingram. Um, a little bit of digging. I was feeling a bit guilty about always bagging on Ingram because what I have seen of him was ugly. I saw a lost slinky kind of just wishing he wasn't even on the floor. And I did a bit of, I thought, okay, I don't want to, I love to be irrational. You know, that's, that's, that's fun. But, um, I read, and it was, um, something I found on, it was written right around the end of January. So it's a couple weeks back, but, um, Luke has been really cautious with him. And I didn't realize this. I should have, this was the eye-opening stat for me, Daz. I think it was by the end of, it's like as of the 30th of January. Um, I think I told you this when we were exchanging messages, but Ingram's usage rate was 15. Mm. 15, I thought, okay. That tells me, maybe that explains it. Because a 15% usage rate, that's not just a lost kid, right? I've seen a lost kid called Rashad Vaughn run around the floor and fawn in his little flashes, right? Lost kids who don't really know their way. And they find a way to get the ball in the air. They find a way to, right, to turn it over or, you know, get a shot up. And so uh, what I read then was to say Luke has been bringing him along very, very cautiously. Fast forward, um, and I actually looked at his game logs, so I haven't dug in to see any video, but I've then seen in, in February Ingram had his first flash. He had three games in a row where he hit 
I think I think it's fifty percent each of the three games in three point land, like two for four, three from six, three for six, something like that. And I go, okay, maybe Walton's starting to loosen the leash a bit hmm. and let him let, give him a little more freedom. So um, I'm going to probably come off the irrational bashing of Ingram and say maybe that's just been Luke bringing him along. That fifteen percent you should stood out to me to say that doesn't. That just doesn't happen without some coaching. Well, his numbers don't make sense when you look. He's playing 28 minutes a night, and he's just not putting up any sort of numbers you would anticipate. For that, I mean, I'm in my fantasy league, so I sort of take a particular interest in what he does night tonight. And some nights you just think, how can he be out there for 28 minutes and have poor shots and things like this? Yeah. But it's to your point, the, the, the usage rate is low. And when Lou Williams comes on there, you know, he's a bit of a chucker. Um, you know, Clarkson likes to have the ball. There's, there's a number of players, I think, on that list. Nick team. Young, D'Angelo, Lou Williams, Clarkson, there's there's chuckers everywhere. That's right. Julius Randle likes to have a smash. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's yeah. players there that really are black holes in terms of when they're getting the ball. So Brandon Ingram, I guess the thing I've looked at him and thought, what, what's his future? I just When I watch him play, I think, where do you see him... Uh, and this is where, again, you'd like to talk to Luke Walton and think, where, where's he going to be in three, four years' time? What type of player is he going to be? And that's why I'd like to have seen him at least be shooting better because, you know, you're hoping that you're getting open looks from them sort of shots and they're, they're just sort of uh, pull-up shots or whatever, you know, stand-alone shots when he's getting the ball. So that was what stood out to me, the fact that his shooting percentage yeah. was so low. but. Maybe maybe he'll have a maybe he'll do a bit of a Jabari. No, he's not he's not nearly the physical specimen that Jabari was. So Jabari, similar to Ingram, right, was just a, an unbelievable scorer and a beautiful shooter in college, and came in and you know he was it was only twenty five year rookie season, but um, you know he had he didn't attempt what I think three three pointers in twenty five games. Jason Kidd absolutely forbid it. He's just like, nope, you're going to learn to be aggressive. I want you to be um, creating new shots, and I want you to be um, going to the rack, right? Aggression, creation, playmaking. Focus on that. Don't worry about shooting three-pointers. I wonder, right, if there's a little bit of that template going on where they're trying to just bring along Ingram step-by-step before they unleash him. Well, I just think, I mean, he's shot the third most uh, three-throw attempts of all rookies. He's only shooting 65% from the free throw line. And I just think, for a guy that the big comp, the big That's comp, weird. rap on him was, this guy's a shooter, this guy's going to be Kevin Durant, Mark too, And he's shooting 65% from the, the charity stripe. It just doesn't... And I just watch him and I think, I can't see any likeness to what I saw of Durant. And that's obviously a hot, very... No, that's a horrible comparison. comparison. Yeah. Uh, so I just wonder... And maybe Jabari is a better comp, but again, he doesn't have the athleticism of Jabari. No, he doesn't. And I misspoke a couple of weeks ago. I said Jabari didn't shoot that well in his first season, but it was actually from three that Jabari didn't shoot well. He shot well from the field, basically right from the start of his career. So, yeah, I, I saw that. I get where you're coming from, and I, again, you just you have faith, I guess, in Luke Walton knows what he's doing. I like him as a coach, so you hope that he, he's got an idea and a plan for how he's developing Brandon Ingram. Away yeah. What we see week to week, uh, but look, Darren, that's probably where we'll leave it for today. There was so many other things we wanted to talk about that uh, we're going to continue. Maybe we'll have another emergency podcast. We're going to have a massive trade goes through 
uh, at some stage this week. But uh, I'm happy to leave it there for now. Next week we're going to look at some more trades potentially. And we also want to touch on uh, our predictions on maybe where who are going to be the bottom teams of the league uh, as we look forward to what's going to be a pretty stacked draft uh, for the 2017-18 season. Okay, mate. Good one. Okay. All Go right, boogie. Sarah, we'll talk next week. Thanks, pal. Bye. Thanks,